by Marion Zimmer Bradley. This episode of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is brought to you by Copper Cow Coffee. Pour over Vietnamese coffee. Hey, whenever you get to go back to the break room, be the coolest person in the break room with some pour over coffee. Or impress your children like I do. Dusseldorf and Barbacoa love watching me pour coffee into a thing and then dump that into a pint glass of ice. Uh, yeah, they do. They, they find it fascinating as, as, as much as like when I like make creme brulee with a blowtorch. Uh, Color of Space, Marion Zimmer Bradley. Uh, there's going to be quite a few of them. Should be about seven or eight episodes. And that'll bring us into the first week of January. Hope you're having a good 2022. Wow, it's such a future date. I didn't, I didn't, anyway. Uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am your host, D.B. Spitzer. Check out the show notes. Find out how to help support the show. Go to pgttcm.com. Check out everything we have to offer. We're on Apple uh, Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on YouTube. Check us out. Recording by Mark Nelson. The Colors of Space. Chapter 1. The Lhari spaceport didn't belong on Earth. Bart Steele had thought that a long time ago, when he first saw it. He had been just a kid then, twelve years old, and all excited about seeing Earth for the first time. Earth, the legendary home of mankind before the age of space. The planet of Bart's far-back ancestors. And the first thing he'd seen on Earth when he got off the starship was the Lhari spaceport. And he'd thought, right then, it doesn't belong on Earth. He'd said so to his father, and his father's face had gone strange, bitter, and remote. A lot of people would agree with you, son, Captain Rupert Steele had said softly. The trouble is, if the Lhari spaceport wasn't on Earth, we wouldn't be on Earth either. Remember that. Bart remembered it five years later, as he got off the strip of moving sidewalk. He turned to wait for Tommy Crendon, who was getting his baggage off the center strip of the moving roadway. Bart Steele and Tommy Kendron had graduated together, the day before, from the Space Academy of Earth. Now Tommy, who had been born on the ninth planet of the star Capella, was taking the Lhari starship to his faraway home and Bart's father was coming back to Earth, on the same starship, to meet his son. Five years, Bart thought. That's a long time. I wonder if Dad will know me. Let me give you a hand with that stuff, Tommy. I can manage, Tommy chuckled, hefting the plastic cases. They don't allow you much baggage weight on the lorry ships. Certainly not more than I can handle. <laughs> 
The two lads stood in front of the spaceport gate for a minute. Over the gate, which was high and pointed and made of some clear, colorless material like glass, was a jagged symbol resembling a flash of lightning. The sign, in Lhari language, for the home world of the Lhari. They walked through the pointed glass gate and stood for a moment, by mutual consent, looking down over the vast expanse of the Lhari spaceport. This had once been a great desert. Now it was all floored in with some strange substance that was neither glass, metal, nor concrete. It looked like gleaming crystal, though it felt soft underfoot, and in the glare of the noonday sun it gave back the glare in a million rainbow flashes. Tommy put his hands up to his eyes to shield them. The lhari must have funny eyes if they can stand all this glare. Inside the glass gate, a man in a guard's uniform gave them each a pair of dark glasses. Put them on now, boys, and don't look directly at the ship when it lands. Tommy hooked the earpieces of the dark glasses over his ears and sighed with relief. Bart frowned, but finally put them on. Bart's mother had been a Mentorian, from the planet Mentor, of the star Deneb, a hundred times brighter than the sun. Bart had her eyes. But Mentorians weren't popular on Earth, and Bart had learned to be quiet about his mother. Through the dark lenses, the glare was only a pale gleam. Far out in the very center of the spaceport, a high, clear glass skyscraper rose, catching the sunlight in a million colors. Around the building, small copters and robot cabs veered, discharging passengers and the moving sidewalks were crowded with people coming and going. Here and there in the crowd, standing out because of their height and the silvery metallic cloaks they wore, were the strange, tall figures of the lhari. Well, how about going down? Tommy glanced impatiently at his timepiece. Less than half an hour before the starship touches down. All right, we can get a sidewalk over here. Reluctantly, Bart tore his eyes from the fascinating spectacle and followed Tommy, stepping onto one of the sidewalks. It bore them down a long, sloping ramp toward the floor of the spaceport, then sped toward the glass skyscraper, came to rest at the wide-pointed doors, depositing them in the midst of the crowd. The jagged lightning flash was there over the doors of the building, and the words... Here, by the grace of the lhari, is the doorway to all the stars. Bart remembered, as if it were yesterday, how he and his father had first passed through this doorway. And his father, looking up, had said under his breath, Not for always, son. Someday, men will have a doorway to the stars, and the lhari won't be standing in the door. Inside the building, it was searingly bright. The high, open rotunda was filled with immense mirrors, and glass ramps running up and down, moving staircases, confusing signs, and flashing lights on tall, oddly shaped pillars. The place was crowded with men from all over the planet, but the dark glasses they all wore gave them a strange sort of family resemblance. Tommy said, I'd better check my reservations. Bart nodded. Meet you on the upper level later, he said, and got on a moving staircase that soared slowly upward, past level after level, 
toward the information desk located on the topmost mezzanine. The staircase moved slowly, and Bard had plenty of time to see everything. On the step immediately in front of him, two lhari were standing. With their backs turned, they might almost have been men. Unusually tall, unusually thin, but men. Then Bart amended that mentally. The lhari had two arms, two legs, and a head apiece. They were that much like men. Their faces had two eyes, two ears, and a nose and a mouth, all in the right places. But the similarity ended there. They had skin of a curious, pale, silvery gray, and pale, pure white hair rising in what looked like a feathery crest. The eyes were long and slanting, the forehead high and narrow, the nose delicately thin and chiseled with long, vertically slit nostrils, the ears long, pointed, and lobeless. The mouth looked almost human, though the chin was abnormally pointed. The hands would almost have passed inspection as human hands, except for the long, triangular nails curved over the fingertips like the claws of a cat. They wore skin-tight clothes of some metallic silky stuff, and long, flowing, gleaming silvery capes. They looked unearthly, elfin, and strange, and in their own way, they were beautiful. The two lhari in front of Bart had been talking softly in their fast, twittering speech, but as the hum of the crowds on the upper levels grew louder, they raised their voices, and Bart could hear what they were saying. He was a little surprised to find that he could still understand the Lhari language. He hadn't heard a word of it in years, not since his mentorian mother died. The Lhari would never guess that he could understand their speech. Not one human in a million could speak or understand a dozen words of Lhari, except the mentorians. Do you really think that human, the first Lhari spoke the word as if it were a filthy insult, will have the temerity to come in by this ship? No reasonable being can tell what humans will do, said the second Lhari. But then, no reasonable being can tell what our own port authorities will do either. If the message had only reached us sooner, it would have been easier. Now, I suppose it will have to clear through a dozen officials and a dozen different kinds of formalities. The younger Lhari sounded angry. And we have only a description, no name, nothing. How do they expect us to do anything under those conditions? What I can't understand is how it ever happened, or how the man managed to get away. What worries me is the possibility that he may have communicated with others we don't know about. Those bungling fools who let the first man get away can't even be sure. Do not speak of it here, said the older Lhari sharply. There are Mentorians in the crowd who might understand us. He turned and looked straight at Bart, and Bart felt as if the slanted, strange eyes were looking right through to his bones. The lorry said, in universal, Who are you, boy? What is your businesses here? Bart replied in the same language, politely, My father's coming in on this ship. I'm looking for the information desk. Up there said the old Lhari, pointing with a clawed hand, and lost interest in Bart. He said to his companion, in their own language, 
Always, I regret these episodes. I have no malice against humans. I suppose even this vegan that we are seeking has young and a mate who will regret his loss. Then he should not have pried into lorry matters, said the younger lorry fiercely. If they'd killed him right away... The soaring staircase swooped up to the top level, and the two lorry stepped off and mingled swiftly with the crowd, being lost to sight. Bart whistled in dismay as he got off and turned toward the information desk. A vegan. Some poor guy from his own planet was in trouble with the lorry. He felt a cold, crawling chill down his insides. The lorry had spoken regretfully, but the way they'd speak of a fly, they couldn't manage to swat fast enough. Sooner or later, you had to get down to it. They just weren't human. Here on Earth, nothing much could happen, of course. They wouldn't let the lorry hurt anyone. Then Bart remembered his course in universal law. The lorry spaceport in every system, by treaty, was lorry territory. Once you walked beneath the lightning flash sign, the authority of the planet ceased to function. You might as well be on that unbelievably remote world in another galaxy that was the lorry home planet that world no human had ever seen. On a lorry spaceport, or on a lorry ship, you were under the jurisdiction of lorry law. Tommy stepped off a moving stair and joined him. The ship's on time. It reported past Luna City a few minutes ago. I'm thirsty. How about a drink? There was a refreshment stand on this level. They debated briefly between orange juice and a drink with a lorry name that meant simply cold sweet, and finally decided to try it. The name proved descriptive. It was very cold, very sweet, and indescribably delicious. Does this come from the lorry world, I wonder? I imagine it's synthetic, Bart said. I suppose it won't hurt us. Bart laughed. They wouldn't serve it to us if it would. No, men and lorry are alike in a lot of ways. They breathe the same air, eat about the same food. Their bodies were adjusted to about the same gravity. They had the same body chemistry. In fact, you couldn't tell lorry blood from human, even under a microscope. And in the terrible Orion spaceport wreck 60 years ago, Doctors had found that blood plasma from humans could be used for wounded lorry and vice versa, though it wasn't safe to transfuse whole blood. But then, even among humans, there were five blood types. And yet, for all their likenesses, they were different. Bart sipped the cold lorry drink, seeing himself in the mirror behind the refreshment stand a tall teenager looking older than his 17 years. He was lithe and well-muscled from five years of sports and acrobatics at the Space Academy. He had curling red hair and gray eyes, and he was almost as tall as Alari. Will Dad know me? I was just a little kid when he left me here, and now I'm grown up. Tommy grinned at him in the mirror. What are you going to do? Now we've finished our so-called education. What do you think? Go back to Vega with Dad, by lorry ship, and help him run Vega Interplanet. Why else would I bother with all that astrogation and math? 
You're the lucky one, with your father owning a dozen ships. He must be almost as rich as the lorry. Bart shook his head. It's not that easy. Space travel inside a system these days is small stuff. All the real travel and shipping goes to the lorry ships. It was a sore point with everyone. Thousands of years ago, men had spread out from Earth, first to the planets, then to the nearer stars, crawling in ships that could travel no faster than the speed of light. They had even believed that was an absolute limit, that nothing in the universe could exceed the speed of light. It took years to go from Earth to the nearest star. But they'd done it. From the nearer stars, they had sent out colonizing ships all through the galaxy. Some vanished and were never heard from again, but some made it. And in a few centuries, man had spread all over hundreds of star systems. And then man met the people of the Lari. It was a big universe, with measureless millions of stars, and plenty of room for more than two intelligent civilizations. It wasn't surprising that the Lari, who had only been traveling space for a couple of thousand years themselves, had never come across humans before. But they had been delighted to meet another intelligent race, and it was extremely profitable. Because men were still held mostly to the planets of their own star systems, ships traveling between the stars by light drive were rare and ruinously expensive. But the lorry had the warp drive, and almost overnight the whole picture changed. By warp drive, hundreds of times faster than light at peak, the years-long trip between Vega and Earth, for instance, was reduced to about three months, at a price anyone could pay. Mankind could trade and travel all over their galaxy, but they did it on lorry ships. The lorry had an absolute, unbreakable monopoly on star travel. That's what hurts, Tommy said. It wouldn't do us any good to have the star drive. Humans can't stand faster than light travel, except in cold sleep. Bart nodded. The lorry ships traveled at normal speeds, like the regular planetary ships, inside each star system. Then, at the borders of the vast gulf of emptiness between stars, they went into warp drive. But first, every human on board was given the cold sleep treatment, that placed them in suspended animation, allowing their bodies to endure the warp drive. He finished his drink. The increasing bustle in the crowds below them told him that time must be getting short. A tall, impressive-looking lorry strode through the crowd, followed at a respectful distance by two Mentorians, tall, red-headed humans wearing metallic cloaks like those of the lorry. Tommy nudged Bart, his face bitter. Look at those lousy Mentorians. How can they do it? Fawning upon the lorry that way. Yet, they're as human as we are. Slaves of the lorry. Bart felt the involuntary surge of anger instantly controlled. It's not that way at all. My mother was a Mentorian, remember? She made five cruises on a lorry ship before she married my father. Tommy sighed. I guess I'm just jealous to think the Mentorians can sign on the lorry ship as crew while you and I will never pilot a ship between the stars. What did she do? She was a mathematician. 
Before the lorry met up with men, they used a system of mathematics as clumsy as the old Roman numerals. You have to admire them when you realize that they learned stellar navigation with their old system, though most ships use human math now. And of course, you know their eyes aren't like ours. Among other things, they're colorblind. They see everything in shades of black or white or gray. So, they found out that humans aboard their ships were useful. You remember how humans, in the early days in space, used certain birds, who were more sensitive to impure air than they were? When the birds keeled over, they could tell it was time for humans to start looking over the air systems. The Lhari used Mentorians to identify colors for them. And since Mentor was the first planet of humans that the Lhari had contact with, they've always been closer to them. Tommy looked after the two Mentorians enviously. The fact is, I'd ship out with the Lhari myself if I could, wouldn't you? Bart's mouth twisted in a wry smile. No, he said. I could. I'm half Mentorian. I can even speak Lhari. Why don't you? I would. Oh, no, you wouldn't, Bart said softly. Not even very many Mentorians will. You see, the Lhari don't trust humans too much. In the early days, men were always planting spies on Lhari ships to try and steal the secret of warp drive. They never managed it. But nowadays, the Lhari give all the Mentorians what amounts to a brainwashing, deep hypnosis, before and after every voyage, so that they can neither look for anything that might threaten the Lhari monopoly of space, nor reveal it, even under a truth drug, if they find it out. You have to be pretty fanatical about space travel to go through that. Oh, my mother could tell us a lot of things about her cruises with the Lhari. The Lhari can't tell a diamond from a ruby, except by spectrographic analysis, for instance. And she... A high gong note sounded somewhere, touching off an explosion of warning bells and buzzers all over the enormous building. Bart looked up. The ship must be coming in to land. I better check into the passenger side, Tommy said. He stuck out his hand. Well, Bart, I guess this is where we say goodbye. They shook hands, their eyes meeting for a moment in honest grief. In some indefinable way, this parting marked the end of their boyhood. Good luck, Tom. I'm going to miss you. They wrung each other's hands again, hard. Then Tommy picked up his luggage and started down a sloping ramp toward an enclosure marked Two-Passenger Entrance. Warning bells rang again. The glare intensified until the glow in the sky was unendurable. But Bart looked anyhow, making out the strange shape of the lorry ship from the stars. It was huge and strange, glowing with colors Bart had never seen before. It settled down slowly, softly, enormous, silent, vibrating, glowing, then swiftly faded to white-hot, gleaming blue, dulling down through the visible spectrum to red. At last, it was just gleaming, glassy, lorry metal color again. High up in the ship's side, a yawning gap slid open, extruding stair steps, and men and lorry began to descend. Bart ran down a ramp and surged out on the field with the crowd, his eyes alert for his father's tall figure, 
noted with surprise that the ship's stairs were guarded by four cloaked lhari, each with a Mentorian interpreter. They were stopping each person who got off the starship, asking for identity papers. Bart realized he was seeing another segment of the same drama he had overheard discussed, and wished he knew what it was all about. The crowd was thinning now. Robot cabs were swerving in, hovering above the ground to pick up passengers, then veering away. The gap in the starship's side was closing, and still Bart had not seen the tall, slim, flame-haired figure of his father. The port on the other side of the ship he knew was for loading passengers. Bart moved carefully through the thinning crowd, almost to the foot of the stairs. One of the lorry checking papers stopped and fixed him with an inscrutable gray stare, but finally turned away again. Bart began really to worry. Captain Steele would never miss his ship, but he saw only one disembarking passenger who had not yet been surrounded by a group of welcoming relatives or summoned a robot cab and gone. The man was wearing vegan clothes, but he wasn't Bart's father. He was a fat little man with ruddy cheeks and a fringe of curling gray hair all around his bald dome. Maybe he'd know if there was another vegan on the ship. Then Bart realized that the little fat man was staring straight at him. He returned the man's smile rather hesitantly, then blinked, for the fat man was coming straight toward him. Hello, son, the fat man said loudly. Then as two of the lorry started toward him, the strange man did an incredible thing. He reached out his two hands and grabbed Bart. Well, boy, you're sure grown, he said in a loud, cheerful voice. But you're not too grown up to give your old dad a good hug, are you? He pulled Bart roughly into his arms. Bart started to pull away and stammered that the fat man had made a mistake, but the pudgy hand gripped his wrist with unexpected strength. Bart, listen to me, the stranger whispered in a harsh, fast voice. Go along with this, or we're both dead. See those two lorry watching us? Call me Dad, good and loud, if you want to live. Because believe me, your life's in danger, right now. Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests, and thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually. You don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the people's guide to the Cthulhu mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. The Colors of Space Chapter 2 For a moment, pulled off balance in the fat stranger's hug... Bart remained perfectly still, while the man repeated in that loud, jovial voice, How you've grown! He let him go, stepping away a pace or two, and whispered urgently, Say something, and take that stupid look off your face. As he stepped back, Bart saw his eyes. 
In the chubby, good-natured red face, the stranger's eyes were half mad with fear. In a split second, Bart remembered the two lhari and their talk of a fugitive. In that moment, Bart Steele grew up. He stepped toward the man and took him quickly by the shoulders. Dad, you sure surprised me, he said, trying to keep his voice from shaking. Been such a long time. I'd half forgotten what you looked like. Have a good trip? About like always. The fat man was breathing hard, but his voice sounded firm and cheerful. Can't compare with the trip on the old Asterion, though. The Asterion was the flagship of Vega Interplanet, Rupert Steele's own ship. How's everything? Beads of sweat were standing out on the man's ruddy forehead, and his grip on Bart's wrist was so hard it hurt. Bart, grasping at random for something to say, gabbled, Too bad you couldn't get to my graduation. I made third in a class of four hundred. The lorry had surrounded them and were closing in. The fat man took a deep breath or two, said, Just a minute, son, and turned around. You want something? The tallest of the lorry, the old one, whom Bart had seen on the escalator, looked long and hard at him. When they spoke universal, their voices were sibilant, but not nearly so inhuman. Could we trouble you to show us your papers? Certainly. Nonchalantly, the fat man dug them out and handed them over. Bart saw his father's name printed across the top. The lorry gestured to a mentorian interpreter. What color is this man's hair? The mentorian said in the lorry language, His hair is gray. He used the universal word. There were, of course, no words for colors in the lorry speech. The man we seek has hair of red, said the lorry, and he is tall, not fat. The boy is tall, with red hair, the mentorian volunteered, and the old lorry made a gesture of disdain. This boy is twenty years younger than the man whose description came to us. Why did they not give us a picture, or at least a name? He turned to the other lorry and said in their own shrill speech, I suspected this man because he was alone, and I had seen this boy on the upper mezzanine and spoken with him. We watched him, knowing sooner or later the father would seek him. Ask him. He gestured, and the mentorian said, Who is this man, you? Bart gulped. For the first time, he noted the energon ray shockers at the belts of the four lorry. He'd heard about those. They could stun, or they could kill, and quite horribly. He said, This is my father. You want my cards, too? He hauled out his identity papers. My name's Bart Steele. The lorry, with a gesture of disgust, handed them back. Go then, father and son, he said, not unkindly. Let's get going, son, said the little bald man. His hand shook on Bart's, and Bart thought, if we're lucky, we can get out of the port before he faints dead away. He said, I'll get a copter, and then, feeling sorry for the stranger, gave him his arm to lean on. He didn't know whether he was worried or scared. Where was his father? 
why did this man have his dad's papers? Was his father hiding inside the lorry ship? He wanted to run, to burst away from the imposter. But the guy was shaking so hard, Bart couldn't just leave him standing there. If the lorry got him, he was a dead duck. A copter swooped down, the pilot signaling. The little man said hoarsely, No, robot cab. Bart waved the copter away, getting a dirty look from the pilot, and punched a button at the stand for one of the unmanned robot cabs. It swung down, hovered motionless. Bart boosted the fat man in. Inside, the man collapsed on the seat, leaning back, puffing, his hand pressed hard to his chest. Punch a combo for Denver, he said hoarsely. Bart obeyed automatically. Then he turned on the man. It's your game, mister. Now tell me what's going on. Where's my father? The man's eyes were half shut. He said, gasping, Don't ask me any questions for a minute. He thumbed a tablet into his mouth, and presently his breathing quieted. We're safe for the minute. Those lorry would have cut us down. You, maybe. I haven't done anything. Look, you... Bart said in a sudden rage, You owe me some explanations. For all I know, you're a criminal, and the lorry have every right to chase you. Why have you got my father's papers? Did you steal them to get away from the lorry? Where's my father? It's your father they were looking for, you young fool, said the man, gasping hard. Lucky they had only a description and not a name. But they've probably got that by now, uncoded. We've only confused them for a little while. But if you hadn't played along, they'd have had you watched. And when they get hold of the name Steel, they will, sooner or later, the people in the Procyon system. Where is my father? I hope I don't know, the fat man said. If he's still where I left him, he's dead. My name is Briscoe, Edmund Briscoe. Your father saved my life years ago. Never mind how. The less you know, the safer you'll be for a while. His major worry just now is about you. He was afraid, if he didn't turn up here, you'd take the first ship back to Vega. So he gave me his papers and sent me to warn you. Bart shook his head. It all sounds phony as can be. How do I know whether to believe you or not? His hand hovered over the robot cab controls. We're going straight to the police. If you're okay, they won't turn you over to the lorry. If you're not... You young fool, said the fat man with feeble violence. There's no time for all that. Ask me questions. I can prove I know your father. What was my mother's name? Oh, God, Briscoe said. I never saw her. I knew your father long before you were born. Until he told me, I never knew he'd married or had a son. I'd never have known you, except that you're the living image. He shook his head helplessly, and his breath sounded hoarse. Bart, I'm a sick man. I'm going to die. I want to do what I came here to do, because your father saved my life once when I was young and healthy and gave me twenty good years before I got old and fat and sick. 
win or lose, I won't live to see you hunted down like a dog, like my own son. Don't talk like that, Bart said, a creepy feeling coming over him. If you're sick, let me take you to a doctor. Briscoe did not even hear. Wait, there is something else. Your father said, Tell Bart I've gone looking for the eighth color. Bart will know what I mean. That's crazy. I don't know. He broke off, for the memory had come, full-blown. He was very young, five, six, seven. His mother, tall and slender and very fair, was bending over a blueprint, pointing out with a delicate finger at something, straightening, saying in her light, musical voice, The fuel catalyst, it's a strange color, a color you never saw anywhere. Can you think of a color that isn't red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet, indigo, or some combination of them? It isn't any of the colors of the spectrum at all. The fuel is a real eighth color. And his father had used the phrase, almost adopted it. When we know what the eighth color is, we'll have the secret of the star drive too. Briscoe saw his face change, nodded weakly. I see, it means something to you. Now will you do as I tell you? Within a couple of hours, they'll be combing the planet for you. But by that time, the ship I came in on will have taken off again. They only stop a short time here, for mail, passengers, no cargo. They may get underway again before all the messages are cleared and decoded. He stopped and breathed hard. The Earth authorities might protect you, but you would never be able to board on a lorry ship again, and that would mean staying on Earth for the rest of your life. You've got to get away before they start comparing notes. Here. His hand went into his pockets. For your hair, it's a dye, a spray. He pressed a button on the bulb in his hand. Bart gasped, feeling cold wetness on his head. His own hand came away stained black. Keep still, Briscoe said irritably. You'll need it at the Procyon end of the run. Here. He stuck some papers into Bart's hand, then punched some buttons on the robot cab's control. It wheeled and swerved so rapidly that Bart fell against the fat man's shoulder. Are you crazy? What are you going to do? Briscoe looked straight into Bart's eyes. In his hoarse, sick voice, he said, Bart, don't worry about me. It's all over for me, whatever happens. Just remember this. What your father is doing is worth doing, and if you start stalling, arguing, demanding explanations, you can foul up a hundred people and kill about half of them. He closed Bart's fingers roughly over the papers. The robot cab hovered over the spaceport. Now, listen to me, very carefully. When I stop the cab, down below, jump out. Don't stop to say goodbye or ask questions or anything else. Just get out. Walk straight through the passenger door and straight up the ramp of the ship. Show them that ticket and get on. Whatever happens, don't let anything stop you. Bart. Briscoe shook his shoulder. Promise. Whatever happens, you'll get on that ship. Bart swallowed, feeling as if he'd been shoved into a silly cops and robbers game. 
but Briscoe's urgency had convinced him. Where am I going? All I have is a name, Raynor III, Briscoe said, and the message is about the eighth color. That's all I know. His mouth twisted again in that painful gasp. The cab swooped down. Bart found his voice. But what then? Is Dad there? Will I know? I don't know any more than I've told you, Briscoe said. Abruptly, the robot cab came to a halt, swaying a little. Briscoe jerked the door open, gave Bart a push, and Bart found himself stumbling out on the ramp beside the spaceport building. He caught his balance, looked around, and realized that the robot cab was already climbing the sky again. Immediately before him, neon letters spelled, To Passenger Entrance Only. Bart stumbled forward. The lorry by the gate thrust out a disinterested claw. Bart held up what Briscoe had shoved into his hand, only now seeing that it was a thin wallet, a set of identity papers, and a strip of pink tickets. Procyon Alpha, Corridor B, straight through, the lorry gestured, and Bart went through the narrow passageway, came out at the other end, and found himself at the very base of a curving stair that led up and up toward a door in the side of a huge lorry ship. Bart hesitated. In another minute, he'd be on his way to a strange sun and a strange world, on what might well be the wild goose chase of all time. Passengers were crowding the steps behind him. Someone shouted suddenly, Look at that! And someone else yelled, Is that guy crazy? Bart looked up. A robot cab was swooping over the spaceport in wild, crazy circles, dipping down, suddenly making a dart like an enraged wasp at a little nest of lorry. They ducked and scattered. The robot cab swerved away, hovered, swooped back. This time, it struck one of the lorry grazingly with landing gear and knocked him sprawling. Bart stood with his mouth open, as if paralyzed. Briscoe, what was he doing? The fallen lorry lay without moving. The robot cab moved in again, as if for the kill, buzzing viciously overhead. Then, a beam of light arced from one of the drawn energon ray tubes. The robot cab glowed briefly red, then seemed to sag, sink together, then puddled, a slag heap of molten metal, on the glassy floor of the port. A little moan of horror came from the crowd, and Bart felt a sudden, wrenching sickness. It had been like a game, a silly game of cops and robbers, and suddenly it was as serious as melted death lying there on the spaceport. Briscoe. Someone shoved him and said, Come on, quit gawking, kid. They won't hold the ship all day just because some nut finds a way to commit suicide. Bart, his legs numb, walked up the ramp. Briscoe had died to give him this chance. Now it was up to him to make it worth having. End of Chapter 2